Oh, I've got to say yes. I'm going to. Okay. This is Mark. And this is Kenny. And this is all I want to do is talk about Dita Parlow. <laughs> Album six. Track one. Erotica. Oh, my friends. So, 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 so excited. For I can this, barely breathe. This, cha- this challenging, mm. exciting, groundbreaking, historic masterpiece of an album. Um, it's very, very, very exciting. And we are considering this her sixth album. We consider I'm Breathless Music From Inspired by the film Dick Tracy her fifth album since she is on every track. She is singing and has written most of the tracks. So that's her proper fifth album. This is her sixth album and it's erotica. And much like Like a Prayer for me was a a significant groundbreaking uh, game changer. Uh, Erotica is that album for Mr. Kenny Finkel. And I'd like to um, cede the floor to Kenny to tell us why. When I think about erotica, I think of, this is just free association, the East Village, because that's where I lived, the Bijou, which was a, um, a old movie theater that if you went behind the movie screen or downstairs, there were places to hook up with men. Um, Todd Haynes, for some reason, mm, comes to mind. Yeah. The Sex Book, the Dita remix in the Sex Book. Um, Industria, which is where all fashion happened on the West Side at that time. One West 64th Street, the gorgeous Tony Ward, who just seems to be like slathered all over this album. Bad Girl, I felt like that was me. Waiting, I really felt like was me. Um, I, the Wonder Bar, Boy Bar, 1984, The Pyramid, all these places sort of, Channel 35, which was like where you could watch porn on public access. Um, and Robin and album, Bird Show. Robin, Robin Bird, Bird Show. Show. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it felt both like fact and fiction and it felt like it was a call to my body an awakening. It felt reckless. And I liked watching Madonna push us beyond our understanding, or at least me. So I think about all those things, but the main thing I think about when I think about erotica is that I've only been close, truly close to Madonna twice in my life. And when I say close, I mean within two feet. Um, And both were in this time right before erotica came out. The first time was in Central Park, which we talk about in our trailer or teaser for the whole um, podcast, um, where um, I knew she went running in Central Park and I was determined to find her. I don't know if you ever have this kind of intuition about things, and maybe this happens where like you just know something. Hmm. Like, you know, like you just know. And the particular day that I saw Madonna, like before I left the apartment to go to Central Park, I knew I was going to see her. I was I, I knew that she ran around the park. Um, and so I just knew if I like found a place on the park to start running, that maybe I would run into her. And sure enough, I did. And she passed me with all of her bodyguards and she went really fast. I tried to keep up with her. I remember I was playing on my um, Walkman. I had made a tape that had like, it started with the Express Yourself remix, then it had Vogue, then it had Keep It Together. This was like my running mix, you know? And I had it on like 10, so I was like hoping she would hear me, but she ran so fast past me that I never, you know, if she did hear me, she was running faster to get away from it. I'm sure she was annoyed. The second time is, I think, even more interesting though, because um, it was in the winter, it was October of 1991. And I know this because I looked up the dates of the show that I went to see. I'd gone to go see the Worcester Group at the Performing Garage and they were doing their seminal work brace up, which was their take on Chekhov's Three Sisters. And we, were, we got tickets, we were sitting down somewhere in the center of the theater. And um, at the last second, Madonna came in with two men. I don't remember anything except that she sat right behind me. Like the seating was on this like steep rake. So when I turned around to look at Madonna, I was like looking up at her and she was, you know, when I saw her in the park, like you couldn't really see her, you know, she had her hat on her sunglasses and a long t-shirt and they were just, and there were all these people around her. And it was just like, but when I saw her here, she was like wearing all black. I don't remember what she was wearing. 
But what I remember, there were a few things I remember. One, her hair was that beautiful platinum blonde, you know. Her skin was like porcelain. And her eyes were so big and expressive and aware. Like she was really in the room. And I think that was the thing that made me the most awestruck. Like when I turned around and looked at her, she looked at me, you know, and like she saw everything, you know, and for some reason I think of her as chewing gum at that moment, but I don't remember if that's for sure. Um, after the show was over and we're exiting, um, we were like taking our time because we were trying to, you know, try to get Madonna's attention. And my friend Stacy, who hated Madonna, was like flipped out too. Like she couldn't <laughs> control herself. But that was the thing about, that's the thing about Madonna. Like she entered a space and the energy of the room changed in a way that was so, I've never been in a room. The only other time that's happened is when Kate Blanchett came out at like a movie premiere that I went to at the New York Film Festival. And she came out in this, um, gold pantsuit mm. and her hair was like ironed and the whole room just kind of like gasped because you, when you're in the presence of a true star, like everything changes. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, we were walking out and I swear again that Madonna made eye contact with me and I felt like she saw me and she loved me. Like I felt love, you know? Um, then we waited outside for her, of course, because we were like, we were out of control and we were 20, you know, 19 or 20. We didn't have a plan. Um, we stood across the street though, to give like a critical distance, you know, to be polite, you know, to see where she was going. She came out and I don't know who these guys were with her. They were both handsome and they were taller than her. Um, and uh, she came out with these guys and I think she talked to Willem Dafoe, like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm almost positive. I may be making this up because now I know that she then went off like a few months later to go make Body of Evidence with Willem in Portland. So and Was he made, in the play? Was he in the He production? was in the play, yeah, because okay. he's part of the Worcester okay. group. Sorry, yeah. He's one of the, the main members of the Worcester group, which is why she was probably there. Either they had already cast or they were about to cast, right? Um, she, leaned, she then, after she says goodbye to everybody in the show, she goes to her driver... And she, we don't know exactly what she says, but she says basically like, um, we're going to walk for a while. And she doesn't get into the car. She grabs these two guys. She like has her arms wrapped in each of their arms and they just walk down the street. And there's nobody on the streets because it's like 11 p.m. in Soho on like a Thursday night, like nobody's there. And um, we just kind of like followed at a distance for like, I don't know, like two or three blocks. And finally, we were realizing like it was really rude of us. And so we peeled off and left. And this would have been exactly, if I'm correct, and Mark, correct me if I'm not, exactly the time that she was recording erotica or the initial recordings, right? Yes. I keep true. thinking that maybe one of the guys was Jimmy Albright, who is her bodyguard turned lover, who a few years back tried to sell some of her love letters or faxes, love faxes and voicemails. You know, um, she seems to be hung up on him, but which would explain some of the songs in erotica, though a lot of them were written, I think, prior to him. Because I think if if we look at what's in the like online and stuff, it sort of is like Jimmy didn't really become her lover until like later the next year. Um, but you know, I always try to connect these stories because erotica feels to me like such a diary, mm. you know, and of a diary of a time in her life that seems so um, relatable or so like she's just a single gal living in the city. Do you know what I mean? And like finding and losing love. Um, also, and this is the other thing, this is the other way that Madonna and I were so close at this moment or that it was the closest I ever was to Madonna is that in 1992, Madonna bought a house in Miami. This house was like a little less than a mile from where my parents had moved like a year or so before in sort of on the edge of what would be called what is called coconut grove and brickle when i realized that madonna's house was close to my parents i just, i took up jogging which i always was sort of a runner but this is like the last time i ever ran you know like this time period um I would jog over to Millionaire's Row because it was like a mile there and a mile back and that was like a decent run. And so that I could go 
peer over the fence that blocked the view to her house and like try to see into her house because it was that close. And I would always imagine that like, you know, my dream was like I'd run, I'd be running and there would be Madonna like going and collecting the newspaper in the morning, you know, in her robe. Um, but, you know, that never happened. Um, but meanwhile, while I was going down that street, I discovered at the end of the block, just literally like right next to Madonna's house was this park um, this beautiful park called the Alice Wainwright Park, which was a regular park, but then it had an area that were just groves, like indigenous plant life that was sort of like an area you could walk through. There was some pathways, but then there was a lot that wasn't on a path. And um, I noticed one day while I was running there that there were all these cars parked by the park. And that when I looked upon further looking, there were men sitting in the cars and then I noticed men coming in out of the park all the time and then climbing the fence to get into the groves, like to not even go into the park, but just to go into the grove area. So I being not totally out, but very horny 19, 20-year-old, um, decided to go, you know, explore this park and discovered that it was like the gay cruising mecca of Miami. Like, and... How appropriate I thought that the that the park of this park of queerness was next to Madonna's house. It was like as if it had been planted there on purpose, you know. So, and you know, I wasn't entirely out. So this park was even more important to my identity. It was like a place that I could go to like be seen or see people, you know. And um, and it would be for the next couple of years as I was slowly making my way into, you know, the light. And even after that, I think like men of my age, like some men who were conditioned to find each other in places of shame stayed in those places, like, yeah. or places where, you know, that were off the beaten path that weren't in the light, you know, and I like, and continue to love them. I think I even still battle with like, is that good or bad? You know, do you know what I mm -hmm. mean? Yeah. Um, and I had many, many, many experiences in that park and even went on a couple of dates with guys that I met there or hooked up at their apartments or in their cars. You know, I remember going on one date with the guy. This was like later, I thought was so handsome. Um, this was probably 1993. Cause I remember like for our date, we decided to go see Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> which is like the, dumbest, the worst choice to go on a date. And then afterwards he told me we couldn't hook up because he had just found out he had gonorrhea and that maybe I should go get tested too. So God. I know. So I went to my first clinic, health clinic in 1993. I went to South Beach to the public health clinic to get tested. I was negative for that, but um, that would be the first of many trips to clinics over that year that would eventually culminate in a positive diagnosis for HIV. So in a lot of ways, I connect erotica with my status and with my sexuality in general, and with so many ways, the absence of love and true intimacy. Mm. The void of the early 90s for me, like living in a secret, being jarred by a lover, all of that was part of the erotic experience for me. And it was this time that Madonna's life and my own were the closest. She was so close to my world. The causeway where she shot her famous nude hitchhiker scene was a road I was on like all the time. Mm. Um, wow. The beach where she shot scenes with Isabella Rossellini and Vanilla Ice and Naomi, you know, was where I would hang out with my friends in high school and we cut class. Like, and that was before it was even South Beach, you know? My, my last memory, and I think this is, redefines my relationship to Madonna from this point on in my life. And um, it was one day I jogged to see Madonna's house and I go to the park to find love, AKA sex. And it was early <laughs> evening, which was like the magic hour at the park. You know, all the guys who were like working in business guys were there, you know, they'd come on their way home. Mm. And like, I am, you know, I have a weakness for like, you know, guys in business attire. <laughs> I can't help it. Um, as I turned down Millionaire's Row, um, I saw all these cars, like really nice cars parked up and down the street. And as I got closer to Madonna's place, there was security directing me away from the house. Like, um, and I realized like the gate was open and people were being let in. Like I realized Madonna was having a fucking party. And I watched the gate open and envelop people and then close. And it was in that moment that I realized that no matter how close I was to her, like I was so, 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 so far away. 
And I was not in her circle. And I could pretend to be when I ran down the street or that we would have some kind of run in, but I really wasn't part of her world. And I know that sounds naive to say, but I think until that moment, I felt like she was really truly my friend. Mm. You know, I think about that, you know, I, after that, I never really, really tried to get close to her again. And I think I've had opportunities where I think somebody could have introduced me or I could have been in a space with her. And I've really like said no. And in a way, it's like my heartbreak, you know, about Madonna. Mm. But in another way, it's like, I really love the distance from her. Like, I love how far back I am from her. I love watching the show from here. Wow. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful, Kenny. Maybe your brazenness about sex conceals some insecurity within yourself. Um, I think that's just someone who's afraid of what I have to say is a way of, of, of trying to undermine what I'm saying. Is there a message in the book? There's probably lots of messages. Yeah. Well, what did you get out of it? I got a fright. You got a what? I got a fright. You got afraid? <laughs> well, a fright at what was there, yeah. Why? I'd never seen the likes of it. You have so. I know. Oh, please. You haven't gone to a, 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 a you've never read Playboy magazine or, or Penthouse or anything like that? Yes, but it was different with you. Why? Well, there was that, the, the picture of you astride the mirror, mm -hmm. masturbating. Mm -hmm. I thought that was horrible. Why? It, it just strikes me as horrible. I think if people... I think that people's reaction to specific situations in the book was much more a reflection of, of, of that person than, than me. I mean, you, you were scared by that picture. What, what does that mean? Are you frightened of a, of a woman that can turn herself on? Are you frightened of a woman who is not afraid to look at her genitals in the mirror? Does that little, frighten little you? A little bit, yes. Yes, that's right. Why? Oh, I don't know why. Um, I want to hear about you, not me. I'm happy to talk about oh, okay. me, but, but I, why? I'd rather talk about you. <laughs> well, I want to. I, I want to go back to to something very important, um, and probably um, what uh, is most revolutionary about erotica. Erotica, and that's the um, the embrace of shame. Madonna takes on this album, and we're going to talk about the album, obviously, and we're going to talk about the song erotica shortly, but the album as a whole, she takes all of these things that in the early 90s are taboo, um, whether that's an emotion, whether that's a lifestyle, whether that's a sexual practice, whether that's a, um, a feeling, whether that's a, um, uh, an ugliness, and she puts it front and center in the middle of her album and, de and demands that you look at it, demands that you consider it, and demands that you reckon with it. And I think that that's what's so powerful about the album. And I think also why at the time it was so shocking and so um, upsetting for so many people. Mm -hmm. I feel like there were a lot of people that this was the moment that Madonna went quote unquote too far. Right. And, um, and that's for a variety of reasons, but um, it, it, it's the com complicated ways that she's describing and capturing emotion and the way that the music works on you as the listener is what really is so shocking because yeah. it's a masterful record. It really is a masterful record, but I know at the time, it, it it had a lot of 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 uh, resistance, I think, and and even you know Madonna in the early aughts said her biggest professional disappointment was that erotica didn't get the attention it deserved because of everything else going on at the time, and I right. I think a lot of that is very true. I think that she went in so bold. She's like, you know what? This is this is the language of this story. This is as deep. I'm going to go all the way. Yeah. And by doing that, such a powerful, aggressive, you know, statement, 
Let's just go back and, and just kind of contextualize. She had had a huge hit with Justify My Love and had turned what could have been a PR debacle into a money-making success. And then Truth or Dare came out in the spring of 1991 and she was, it was critically acclaimed and very much a big success and she got a lot of, of critical acclaim for the documentary and it was considered groundbreaking. So she's got a lot of fuel on her fire going into the summer of 1991 when Shep Pettibone starts going, sending her tapes while she's shooting League of Their Own in um, in Illinois, and um, he sings her, he sends her a tape with four songs on it to start: Erotica, Deeper and Deeper, Thief of Hearts, and Rain to start writing lyrics and going back and forth. Um, Erotica is a lot of firsts. Erotica is the first album that Madonna makes that is, has an explicit uh, language and mm-hmm. content label. Um, it's the first uh, record that she makes on her own uh, label, Maverick, which she uh, founded with Freddie DeMann um, earlier that year in April of 1992, which was, she was considering it as an artistic think tank. And uh, I really love what she says at that time, which is basically, there are a group of people I want to keep working with that I love, and there's a younger generation of talent that I want to nurture and develop. And she's kind of acknowledging that she is now one of the the gatekeepers, the cultural um, trendsetters. She is deciding what is cool. And that's something new, I think. The first time she like willfully is acknowledging that and creating kind of an ecosystem to support it. Um, She's an adult finally. It feels like, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I think we've we've talked about this a little bit as far as like how we decided to break this to make this season two eighty eight to ninety three. And mm-hmm. just recently, I was like, it feels like this this season should have ended with um, Immaculate Collection, you know, yeah. Truth or Dare, um, because this does feel like it's a new act. You yeah, know? like she's she's at a totally different place now. Well, and and you know she she was she was create there was uh, there was a need for control and uh, by creating Maverick and um, kind of developing an artist label. I mean Maverick Records, which we'll talk about as we go through the next probably ten to fifteen years, uh, has a, a very eclectic roster of musicians. Uh, some of its first signings were Candlebox, the grunge band Can- Candlebox. Um, my goddess Michelle and Cello. She mm-hmm. was a huge uh, sign that everybody wanted, and and Madonna got her. Um, later, people were like Alanis Morissette and Prodigy and Michelle Branch. Yes, yes. Um, people like that. Um, uh, even Marilyn Manson was on the label for a period in the late nineties and early aughts. So it was a legitimate uh, record label. Um, But Madonna was really its first big monolith project. Um, It's her longest album. The the shortest song on here is Bye Bye Baby and it's three minutes and 55 seconds. Pretty much every other song with a couple of exceptions is over five minutes. Mm. Um, And it's the first album really where uh, a contemporary female pop singer stretches out and takes her time. Uh, it, it's an album for the CD generation. Um, it's 75 minutes, which is the long, pretty much the longest you can have on one disc. And everybody after this starts doing long albums, over an mm. hour long. Janet Jackson's Janet, which comes out in 1993, is similarly 90, 75, 76 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, Whitney Houston's uh, future records, they come in at over 60 minutes. It, it becomes this thing of like, you know what? I can make a grand double album statement like Led Zeppelin can, or, or you know, Miles Davis, or any of the big men in, yep. in music. And this is the first time she's able to do it. And yet she's engaging with these young, hungry, raw, untested um, talents, Shep Pettibone, the DJ and remixer, and Andre Betts, who she had worked with on Justify My Love. And they are very much two sides of this coin of Madonna and what um, what she's looking to explore on this. Um, it also contains some of her greatest pop moments and some of her most experimental tracks. And what I love about it is, is I feel like some of the poppier stuff on it shows she's like, I could make these songs in my sleep if I wanted to make an album just like this, but I don't, I want to make this kind of album. 
Um, and the final thing I would say about in terms of first is she's um, unlike other periods of time where she sequesters herself away, like she did with I'm Breathless, like she did with Like a Prayer, and slams out a record in three or four weeks. She works on this in, in chunks. She starts in the in the summer of 1991 writing it. She works a bunch of time in, in the fall when you had your encounters with her. Then she goes off to make Body of Evidence in Oregon in the late fall early winter then she kind of comes back and and finishes up in the in the winter spring back in New York in a studio in fucking Astoria Queens I might add <laughs> the, fa- the fabulous sunset studios in mm-hmm. in Astoria she was going to Astoria and um and I like it because what it does is it inform um that sporadicness kind of starts to inform all of the other elements that she's working on. She's doing body of evidence. She's, uh, you know, talking to Abel Ferrara about doing a movie with him that was called Snake Eyes that becomes Dangerous Games. And she's making the sex book with Stephen Mizell. Yes, yes. All of that's happening at once. Yes. it. I mean, I think that's, you know, it's where she, this album to me, I mean, I think with Like a Prayer, we see the artist Madonna mm-hmm. appear. And with this album, I feel like, the artist is primary. Like it's, I think for all great art, it does take time. And when she's thinking on such a huge canvas, which is yes. And this is also, you know, you didn't say this, but I think this is the first time we've had the movie, the book, the album, this multimedia splurge that happens, which lots of other pop stars imitate and do later. You know, but she's sort of at the forefront of this, like all these things are coming out at the same moment. And 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 they're unified. There's a unified hold to it. And and they speak to each other in a way that I don't even think anybody who's tried to duplicate it since has done. It just kind of is like, oh, they're all coming out at once. Whoops. There's an intentionality to it. I mean, you know, Erotica comes out on October 20th, 1992, and the sex book is released on October 21st, 1992. So that you're like buying both books, you're buying the book and you're buying the album at the mall together and taking them home and ripping them open. And the cover art, the artwork in, in Erotica is by Stephen Mizell and it's stuff from the the book. The the video to Erotica is basically a living version of the Stephen Mizell material in, in the sex book um, yes, with some yes. other things as well. And I think also, you know, she's embracing that, that person. I think she was very taken b- b- back by people's um, calling her calculated and icy and, you know, um, around the truth or dare and around justify my love. And, oh, you're so good at, you know, spinning things and and manipulating. And I think she kind of decides, you know what, I'm going to embrace that and show you what that would be like if that were true on Absolutely. my album. Absolutely. I mean, I think the album, you know, as a whole too is like, it's, it is all of that. It's an act of aggression, mm. you know, and it's like, there's so much, I think so much fury in the album. Yeah. And, and power and also opportunity, you know, but I think, you know, I think if Body of Evidence had been, I know we're going to talk about this later, but if it had been a better movie, mm. I think thematically, yeah, I think that it is in conversation with these other things. I think that's why she chose that material. Yeah. Um, but she didn't have control about Well, but you you have to look at it from the perspective of 1992. I mean, 1992, Silence of the Lambs won the Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, body of evidence, uh, um, not body of evidence, um, basic, basic instinct, instinct came out. Yeah. Yeah. And both of those films were huge cultural successes, graphically sexual and very queer in a hateful way. Mm. And, mm. you know, there was just a, 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 an, a, a, an oral history of Silence of the Lambs published in Vanity Fair. And Jodie Foster says that Jonathan Demme always felt very guilty about the way that um, Buffalo Bill, the, transgen- the transsexual killer in the film, um, it's not a spoiler, he's revealed to be the killer right away. <laughs> but um, 
uh, how he was interpreted by um, LGBTQ activists and, mm. and and people as as being so um, aggressive. And the same way with Catherine Catherine Martell, which you, not Catherine Martell, that's from uh, um, Catherine Tre- Tremaine or Tre- Tremel Tremel or something, which is uh, Sharon Stone's character in uh, Basic Instinct. Um, her being bisexual is kind of seen as up. Oh, she's trouble because she's bisexual and. And so on the heels of those two films, for Madonna to dive so deep and so aggressively sexual in the fall really feels like, okay, we these two films, this is the line. But Madonna's like, oh, no, 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 no. The line is way to the mm, left of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we can go further. And also in a moment of, um, you know, we're at the height of the AIDS. Yes, of AIDS, you know, we're at the height of where people are dying. There's no cure. Um, sex is becoming like no one should have any sex. You know, we're becoming a more Puritan. We're in a Republican. We're about to become a Democratic country, you know, a Democratic president, but we're not quite there yet. We're in a moment that's a really dark moment. And in that moment, she's saying like, we should be talking about sex and we should not be ashamed of sex. We should explore our bodies and embrace our bodies. Part of this is about you know, this repression and shame is what's killing us, you know? And, and the rage that is, and a lot of the rage I think that is fueling the record is the lack of um, anybody doing anything about it as it was happening. Cause this was yeah. now, people were realizing, oh my God, this has been killing people for nearly 10 years and the government did nothing. No, now we're all wearing red ribbons and, 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 you know, giving money to Elizabeth Taylor's charity. But- this has been going on and nobody did anything. Right, yes. And the, the indignation of that. And and I think also the loss. I mean, there's a lot of loss on this album, a loss of love, a loss of mm. security, a loss of innocence. Innocence, yes. There's a song yes. called Goodbye to Innocence that um, was a B-side and um, and a loss of friendships and and. Um, you know, specifically her friend, her friend Martin, and her, um, her her dance mentor Christopher Flynn, who she writes about in in this life, and they haunt the record. There's ghosts on this record too mm-hmm. that are are very um, uh, watching over as Madonna continues to play with persona and continues to explore different kinds of vocal trick vocal roles, and um, and these are amazing songs like. I cannot yeah. get over how fantastic this album is. Let's talk a little bit more about Madonna's lyrics. There's something so um, specific. Um, after so many years of, of writing uh, anthems and broad emotional statements, these feel like diaries. These feel like little windows into her psyche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this is the first time in her career that she's not necessarily working with a stalwart studio producer songwriter. She's basically right. working with a DJ who or and mixer who's become a songwriter. Yes, that's such a good point. Because I Shep think Pettibone. Shep Pettibone. Shep Pettibone. Shep Pettibone, who is uh, mercurial and, and mysterious now. He really stepped out of the spotlight. Like he has no interest in he doesn't like to talk about this time. He never really worked on other, you know, he did other stuff, but he sort of walked out of the business. He now has like a nightclub and a hotel in Asbury Park. Um, and that's sort of his life. He's really into that. But yeah, I think that, you know, part of it is that Madonna was sort of the one who knew the most mm. in this, you know? Yes. And yes. so she also was like, I want to have the control. I don't feel the need to make perfect pop songs all the time, which is part of why they're longer. Cause she, mm-hmm. she's like, these don't need to be radio friendly, particularly though they did find some radio friendly songs. Yeah. Um, and also that he's queer, mm-hmm. that it infects the album in a really beautiful way that it has a different sensibility to it. It's smarter in some ways. It's savvier. It's, Tougher. It's got it's got a wryer humor. I yes. think the humor is more tongue in cheek. It's much more um, the the gender uh, roles are blurry. Tell me this: Would you 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 can say true or false, please? Um, yes. Could this be the New York version of a Pet Shop Boys album? Could it be? Is it like? Mm. Is it as wry as that? 
No, because it's too emotionally messy for it to be that. Mm. Because the Pet Shop Boys, and I love, I'm a huge Pet Shop Boys fan, there's something very pristine about yes. their music. Yeah, and, that's true. And it, and it kind of, it, it, it's, it's meant to be the backdrop and the under, un, the soundtrack to all the messy things you're doing while you're dancing mm. to it. Oh, I love that. It's not supposed to be the actual slop. Mm-hmm. And this is the slop. Yeah, you know, that's, I mean, I think we, we're going to talk about this multiple times as we're talking about the album. Like she, like you said, wanted it to sound really messy and dirty. Like when they do Bye Bye Baby, it's those vocals that they made in his apartment, right? That they just use. They use that yeah. frequently in this where they, she records it once and they're like, that's the vocal we're going to use. It's not perfect, but it's raw. It's clear. I think you're right that the lyrics are like, we always know she has her notebooks and she's taking things out of her notebooks. I think in this case, she didn't, rewrite them that much you know no no and that i heard her in several you know i watched so many interviews getting ready for us to talk about the album and like when you hear her voice in interviews it sounds exactly like her voice on like erotica like she's not putting anything on top of it yeah yeah well and and i think that that their lack of i think shep pettibone being queer and his lack of polish uh and Andre Betts as well, um, helped her check herself at the door. I mean, you talk about this all the time, how Madonna's always trying to uh, get back to that girl sitting in Soho on her bed with her like eight track trying to make a song again. And this is is probably, um, I would venture to say that her most successful attempt at getting back to that Absolutely. That kind of instinctualness. And it really has to do with those two collaborators, Shep Pettibone and Andre Betts. And yeah. Tony Shimkin. Tony Shimkin. And that she's in New York. She's back in New York because she hasn't been in New York to make an album for several years, really. Yeah. yeah. She's you been know. in Hollywood playing other people's games. Now it's time to make a game of your own, Dita. Let's dive in and talk about the first track. Let's talk about erotica. Let's talk about erotica. I just say like, you know, when I'm talking about the beginning of every album and how it sort of sets us into this new era, like here we are with the record scratch, the scratchy record. Yeah. Right. Okay. Which are, which are meant to be intentional as the album says in the liner notes, (laughs) record scratches on the title track are intentional. (laughs) Good to know. I can just imagine people being like, we can't have them return the album on target. Something's wrong with my CD. The record scratch immediately establishes us in world, mm-hmm. right? Okay, here we are in a world. We're in somebody's room. They've taken a record out. They've put it on. It's old, but it's familiar. And then that bass line. Yeah. And it's like, we've not ever heard this bass line before, certainly not with a Madonna song. And if you don't have it turned up enough, you may even miss it at first. It's so dark and it's so... Um, there was a version of this album before... Um, that was more polished and more um, poppy and Madonna didn't like it and basically was like, I want it to feel like it was recorded in an alley. Yes. And and that's what this sounds like. This sounds like a rumbling. It almost sounds like the bass is in the club next door and we're outside getting blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Wait, Mark, have you ever had that a blowjob outside of a club? Of course I have. This is going to be this is going to be an explicit uh, chunk of time. So if anyone who knows me and and you know, I'm going to be very open, just like Madonna is. Um, yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I've touched a trash can to keep my balance. <laughs> yes, I actually can. <laughs> I can relate. Um, so, but if you mean keep your balance, does that mean you were on your knees or were you? Standing? <laughs> I'm going to let the listeners think about that. Um, and, and interesting enough, this song started as a song called You Thrill Me.
she wound up doing a version of in the Confessions tour in 2006 uh, because Guy Ritchie liked it. Um, but but um, he, uh, what happened was Madonna was, sh- they were working on it. Madonna was showing Shep Pettibone some of the material from the sex book. And he was like, the writing in this is so cool. Why don't you use some of it in the song? And then she started to use the the, she started speaking the poetry from almost like Ingrid Chavez did in yes. the Justify My Love. She well, started reading her poetry. This is what I was saying before is that what I believe she did with Erotica was she took what she had learned from Ingrid Chavez, which wasn't her voice, mm-hmm. and actually found her true voice mm-hmm. in Erotica, meaning for this style. Because the language even is not, it's not romantic language. It's language mostly about power. Yeah. You know, right. And this control. Song, this song is about power and control, yeah. which is sort of where we know, you know, Madonna has always, and Madonna continues to treat us, especially moving from this point on, is like as our dominatrix. Like she's like tells us when we can get what we can get. What she, time she's going to go on. She, she she'll go when she's read. Yeah. She withholds, she withholds, she withholds. I wrote down in my notes, like, this song is a grower. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like, because even if you like on, on first listen or second listen, you can just be like, what is the chorus? The chorus is kind of nothing. And then it's chanty. There's no, there's not the usual Madonna vocal hook with the, with right. the throaty voice. Yeah. But over yeah. time, it's like, you can't get it out of your head. Well, and there's extraordinary texture to this song. It feels so stripped, so minimal. And then all there's, there are horns in it. There's, you know, maracas in it. There, um, there are, there's a clip from Cool in the Gang's Jungle Boogie in it. There's that, um, that sample of, by Farouz that yep. was a, a whole thing. Yep. There's lots of vocal stuff happening in addition to Madonna and that simple stripped thing. So I think, and it's a, I think this is probably Shep Pettibone's, one of his masterpieces in terms of mixing and sound. Um, and I also want to shout out Tony Shimkin, who um, was the um, other collaborator. He also wrote this song. He wrote about seven songs on erotica, and um, similar to what we discussed with Ingrid Chavez, he um, was he was only allowed to pick one song to have a credit to originally, and he picked deeper and deeper. But subsequently, he has been re-added to. Um, all the songs that he wrote on, and he mm-hmm. wrote on this. Um, Smart that he chose deeper and deeper, though. By the way, uh, I know I would have. I mean, you know, when, if <laughs> you're listening to the hit. album, the I was like, hit. "Oh, yeah. thank God, um, <laughs> we found her. There she is." Um, and you know, I so um, I bought this album the day it came out at the National Record Store in uh, in Niles, Ohio, at the Eastwood Mall. Um, I bought it. Um, it was fifteen ninety nine on sale for $13.99, which I was very excited about because it was a first day release. And um, and I just remember listening to it. Um, it was the first um, CD Madonna album I ever owned. And I was so, so excited. And um, I had heard Erotica on the radio because they had done a premiere of it, um, like on the, the week before, I think it had come out. And um, so I knew what I was getting into, but... Um, on the album, it went on longer and it was more foreboding. It felt darker and um, and and um, and deeper, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that it feels it feels that, like I said earlier, it's the most theatrical opening to an album. I like, yeah. and I do believe that this album is, um, you know, it's a character study. Well, she she's playing Dita Parlow, the German actress that she name drops at the beginning of the album and I think she she in part I think it is is a stroke of genius because it 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 kind of gives her a tiny bit of an out 
of I'm play acting. I'm still, yeah. you know, I'm still Madonna. And yet that video, I don't see a lot of Madonna. There's one moment in that video where I'm like, oh, there's Madonna. It's a weird like sister to the to the album, to the to the to the the book, because um Dita Parlo is not in the sex book, but she kind of guides us through the images in the video. And I love that moment when the curtain opens. And I feel like they shot that in like a basement, the Dita Parlo. They actually Madonna shot stuff. it at the kitchen. Oh, they did? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And she has, she also has. Um, there are moments where she has the mask on, and then there are these moments where she doesn't. And and I think I think that was probably to um, kind of assuage people of like, oh yeah, it's me, it's me. And she has that that puppet with the 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 yes. the, 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 the boxing that puppet, her. yeah. And she gives it head, and she does all of these things with it. But then the 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 footage from the 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 sex book feels so much lighthearted after all that dark in the in the context of the Dita Parlo darkness. Well, that's what's interesting about this whole album and in particular this song is that even in its darkness you can tell that she's having so much fun. Yes. Um she's really, you know, she just totally embraces it. She's not running away from it. She's living inside of it. Like there's that moment where they have footage from her, I think it's at the Gaiety and she has all those men on on like uh Hands Chain. and knees and harnesses. Yeah, harnesses. Yeah. And she's like laughing, you know, yeah. she's, she, I, I appreciates the absurdity of what she's doing. And also she's enjoying it because yeah. in a way, you know, she talks like the sex book is all these fantasies yeah, and she's getting to play them all out. And, you know, she says like, there's not one fantasy that I had that I didn't get to play out. Like I did, I played out all of my fantasies. One of the shots, which is from the book, I found very humorous, yeah. which was you hitchhiking. Yeah. I think it was on Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> what did the motorists do when they sailed past you? I think they all thought they were having a hallucination or something. Most of them just slowed down a little bit, looked at me, did a double take, and just kept on driving. I, I really don't think they thought they were seeing correctly. They all probably went to the eye doctor the next day. <laughs> I don't know. What about yourself? What was going through your mind when you were standing I was, there? I, I was laughing my head off. I, I, I couldn't stop laughing. It, I don't know. It was very, um, it was very liberating. I, I, I was giggling the whole time because I felt like I was doing the ultimate taboo. You know, you're not allowed to be in public without your clothes on. Only children are allowed to be in public without their, their clothes on. And, it was very freeing in a way. I felt like a child again because running in the streets naked. But with a handbag? Well, of course, shoes and a handbag. A girl can't go anywhere without her handbag. Um, her pocketbook. <laughs> well, and, and, and that's, that's my um, critique of the book is as great as the book is, and I, I, I was, so I have two copies of the book. I bought the book secretly. I was not allowed to, but I saved the $49.99 you needed to buy the book. And I bought it um, at B. Dalton Bookstore oh, yeah. in, the, in, the, in the mall. Um, and it was sealed in its Myler bag and I kept it sealed. It, it's, it's still sealed however many years later. And then I bought um, later near Christmas, right after Christmas, there was a sale and they had a copy of it in French that they had for like 20 bucks after Christmas because it was a, a foreign. And it was the only, you couldn't get it sold out within a couple of weeks, the um, English version. So I bought that and that's the one I opened. So I've spent, you know, 30 years now with the images. And what's interesting about the images is it doesn't quite capture how much fun it was. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this has been the criticism of the book forever is that it came off a little cold or it came off a little like a fashion shoot, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. as opposed to like true sex. But I happen to, I, I, I said to you before, like I've maybe looked through the book once or twice, mm -hmm. you know, I've never really spent time with it. Maybe I don't need to, but you know, she was working with all these fashion people and I think the book is fashion. I think that's what it was supposed to be, you know, yeah. and I think it may have been the furthest she could really go without really getting- Penetrated, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Because it never feel it feels very performative. And it's funny you say fashion because I've always thought of it as it is a fashion book where sex is the clothes. Right. Yes. That's what you're supposed to be focused on. And the fantasy of it and the way that um, these characters... The other thing I'll say is, is so many, I mean, everyone always focuses on Naomi Campbell and Big Daddy Kane and fucking Vanilla Ice, one of the, ugh, um, and <laughs> Isabella Rossellini and things like the famous people that are in the book and, you know, Helmut um, Berger and, and Tatiana von Furstenberg. But um, what's so shocking about the book are all the anonymous strangers we've never seen and we've never known about. And I think that's what's so like shocking. You don't expect Madonna to be in bed with like a very young pubescent boy with long hair. And that yet mm. there she is hopping in bed with him. And it's my favorite. It's the only moment in the video where I'm like, oh, there's Madonna. He gets in behind her and kind of presses up against her. Hit her and I'm assuming he was hard and she feels it. And she kind of gives like the look mm -hmm. that Madonna loves to do. And you could, th there's a bit of, there's a dollop <laughs> of little Madonna humor there. And you're just kind of like, oh, wow. But that, those are the moments where I'm kind of like, um, you know, you, uh, Tony Ward shows up in the video as well. Mm. And, um, and I'm like, oh, it's an old friend, but it, it's, it doesn't function the same way that the strangers right. do. I think particularly of like the two skinheads that she, um, whips. And then also, um, the guy with the Lucifer jean, uh, leather jacket on in the, in the S and M club. And then the two, um, women that, she she's fooling around with at the top of the book, which are some of the most aggressive photos mm -hmm. in, at the top of the book. And they're tattooed and pierced and being violent. And there's just so many different things in the book. I'm paging through it, if you can hear. And there's just so many different things that are, are just, it's so shocking to see Madonna cavorting with ordinary people, basically. I think it's interesting because we've, this conversation has gone from, the song to the album to the book, the book to the movies back to the song and that's that is part of what this song holds it holds so much story in it yeah the other part of this story for me are the remixes yes um the we are entering uh fans of the podcast, we are entering a, the golden age of Madonna remixes. The yes. erotica mixes are the gold standard for all remixes ever made by anybody ever. They're so and inventive, they're incredible, incredible. And I would encourage everybody, stop going on Spotify, go on eBay and find the CDs and get those CDs, those maxi single CDs, because there's something about each one separately talking to each other that's really amazing. There are a couple that I really love. I mean, there's one, well, first I love the one that's actually in the sex book. It's called Erotic, it's not Erotica. My name is Dita. I'll be your mistress tonight. I'll be your loved one, darling. Turn off the light. I'll be your sorceress. Your heart's magician. I'm not a witch. I'm a love technician I'll be your guiding light In your darkest hour I'm gonna change your life I'm like a poison flower Give it up, do as I say Give it up, let me So I love that one And then there's one I think it's the Masters at Work Yes, dub. oh my god The Masters at Work dub Is like my favorite I think that one's my favorite also did a, um, that was done by um, Masters at Work were um, uh, Little Louis Vega and Kenny Dope Gonzalez and they also uh, do a fabulous uh, mix called Madonna in My Jeep Mix oh, which yes. I love. I love that one too. Yeah.
what is so great about the remixes too is is they're all so different and yet they're all they're all working within confines of the song because i think at the time i think erotica got dismissed a lot because the song because it sounded like quote unquote justify my love too yeah yep. and um these remixes prove without a shadow of a doubt how incredible the song was and because it would not have been able to withstand all of that trickery you know magic totally. remixes julie brown the comedian julie brown had yeah. sort of made a, a a part of her career on making fun of madonna right yeah she had somewhat of a passing resemblance to madonna or she could play the look she had made um her movie that was like her truth or dare rip off medusa Mm-hmm. Right? Did you see that, or do you ever do you know that? I have seen it. Yes, it's I have like no common. Kind of <laughs> no, good, good, good. I'm just bringing it up because she also created a song called Neurotica. Yeah. I'm a sex goddess, and you're gonna understand when I blow my nose in your hand. I'll shave your back and suck your cat's toes. I'll shove a live parakeet up your nose. Oh, 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 oh! I'm not wearing underpants. Public. I'm disappointed that a lot of the um, people that made fun of her were women, because Sandra Bernhardt also, um, in her show Giving Till It Hurts, she does a song called Neurotica where she manically cleans, (laughs) which I think is probably a Madonna thing that Uh she took, and she was like, oh, she cleans all the time. But because, I again, I think that there's such a discomfort with a woman in power calling the shots and and expressing herself yeah. and really doing that, not just singing about it, but like really talking about her fantasies, talking about these things, and having a platform to do it. Yeah, she's not she's not an underground person. She's like, I mean, erotica. You know, the song debuted. Um, it, it was number. It was it's tied with Mariah Carey and Boys to Men's "I'll Be There" as one of the top, the highest uh, debut songs ever. Well, wait, let's go back because it. It couldn't have been Boys to Men and Mariah Carey. I'll be there. It should be. Like- oh no! I'll be there with Trey Lorenz yeah, from yeah, her yeah. Um, Unplugged. <laughs> I'm sorry. They did another song called One Sweet Day. Yes. That's a. That's a. That is also a a, a, a chart big Mariah breaker. moment. Yes, big Mariah moment. But yes, they both they both were the highest debuts. They tied and Erotica went to number three. Yeah, this complicated dark song, um, and and I think that it's a very. Um, because it's so bold, because it's so unapologetic, it is very easy to make fun of. Yes, yes. I mean- There's a lot of material to, to, to riff off of. Yeah. I think that the song, you know, it's interesting. Like, I think she recognized first with Like a Virgin and then building to just with Like a Virgin performance in Blonde Ambition. And then mm-hmm. with building to, she's like, oh, people are uncomfortable when I- talk directly about sex. And then she uses Justify My Love to go deeper into the conversation. And then this whole album, specifically the book, and then this first song, she's pushing the conversation further. She's also like literally at this moment, besides Princess Diana, the most famous woman in the world. Yeah. And so like, I think that the world, you know, the tides turned. It was the first time that we see this cycle that has happened multiple times in her career since then, um, Mm -hmm. where the world tries to tear her down or it feels like that, like she's pushing through a negative space. And, you know, I think it shows, it shows something about her, like that no one, like how tough she is, you know, and how much she believes in herself and her message, which I don't know, like, Mark, can you think of times in your life where you've really taken a stand or been like, this is how I feel and this is what I'm saying and I'm standing by it? Yeah. That's really hard. It's very hard to do and it's very hard to do when the stakes are so high. Let me talk about, can I talk specifically about your sexuality and feel free to come out of line, tell me and we'll just muse on, but obviously there's speculation. I'll tell you if it's relevant. Okay. There's speculation always in the press about you, what you do, Mm -hmm. what you get involved with, Mm -hmm. who you get involved with. Mm your, your affairs with men have been detailed quite lovingly, perhaps inaccurately by the press. And obviously your marriage and your relationship with Warren Beatty recently was, was great fodder for the tabloids. They loved it. And now there's speculation as well about your involvement with women. Right. 
it, do you find sex with men preferable to sex with women? Or? Yes. Do you enjoy sex with women as well? <laughs> do you want me to? Whatever you want. Yeah, I think I quite like the idea. Okay. But, um... Well, you know, people have always accused me of, 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 of being this sort of raving nymphomaniac, and they said things that I did with men that weren't true, and they said things that I did with women that aren't true. I'm very intrigued by bisexuality and homosexuality. That doesn't mean that I necessarily experience it, and I don't think it's relevant. And if people say, oh, she sleeps with women, I don't bother to deny it because I don't think it matters. It's, it's really... Who cares? I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, so I'm not going to go around going, oh, God, that's not true, that's not true. So, I, I mean, I don't think it's relevant. She performs it live all the time. No, that's not true. <laughs> she opens, memorably, she opened the, the girly oh. show with it as Dita Parlo. We, One of we my got favorites. Her, we got yeah. her, uh, her whole performance of it, doing it exactly how I think she conceived of it. Yep. Um, and then we don't hear it again until uh, 2006 with the... Um, uh, the disco version in um, Confessions, which was a thrilling time. And yep. then she also does it again in, on the MDNA tour in a, in a very kind of short version of it um, in a medley, which I hate, yes. uh, uh, can't, with Candy Shop from Hard Candy. And um, I think she's still very proud of it. I mean, I, I think it's, it, it's such a great um, way to start an, an album because Thrilling. again like so many other madonna moments we have no idea where she's going to go after this song in the album till next time bye okay, catch up. <laughs>